Welcome back, everyone. Thanks so much for joining us again, and welcome to our new listeners. I am so excited to introduce you to someone I have been wanting to connect with for quite some time, Dr. Susan Masterson. She is a fellow Sjogren's patient, likely since childhood. She's a trained clinical health psychologist and learned all about the worried well and thought she was one until she was finally diagnosed with Sjogren's in 2017. And at that point, researching Sjogren's became her mission. And she wrote her book, You Mean It Isn't In My Head, to validate what others feel and give a broad overview as a starting point when newly diagnosed patients don't know anything about their disease. So I am so excited to connect with Dr. Masterson, to learn more about you. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk with us and share your story. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I've been looking forward to talking to you too for quite a while. So this is a perfect way to do it. We also found out we're geographically not too far from one another, just about four hours away. (laughs) What do you know? Maybe we can meet live sometime. I would love that. So maybe you can start by just sharing a little bit more about you and your story. How did you end up where you are now? I guess as a child, I think you mentioned a minute ago, I had symptoms probably most of my life where I'd feel like something's in my eye and my eyes were dry when I would try to wear contacts and I would have joint pain and the fatigue has been this constant thing I've been living with for forever, pretty much. Um, anytime I would go to a doctor, I would first and foremost always talk about, I'm just so tired. If I mentioned my heart's doing something funny or I've got joint pain, doctors would always be like, oh, okay. Nothing that I know of explains it. They wouldn't say this out loud. Mm-hmm. Think to themselves, okay, here's a kid. And to be honest, if they knew my family, my grandmother had a reputation of being a hypochondriac. So I think the ones that knew her and then knew me were like, okay, we've got another one here. And they would just say, look, you need to manage stress or get a better diet. Let's trust your vitamin levels, your iron. Let's check your thyroid. They would do this, I think, please me, honestly. Sure enough, everything came back within normal limits. So frustrating. I was like trying one thing after another, trying to figure out what am I doing wrong to cause these symptoms? Something I'm doing clearly is the reason. Um, I would try vitamin supplements, even though everything was in normal limits. I would try chromium. I would try ginseng, ginkgo, and all those things that are supposed to make you think clearly and feel better and just nothing ever made a difference. So then I'm guessing a lot of people say in the field of psychology, when they get into school, they decide to do research on something that's pertinent to them. Yeah. And my degree is in health psychology, which is all about how the mind and the body work together to either make you sick, keep you healthy. And there's that constant interplay between the two. And because I was just, I knew, I always knew something is not right, (laughs) but it must be in my head. It's got to be in my head. So I went to graduate school. Sure enough, learned all about 
the worried well. They take up such a huge portion of doctor visits. They have like 8% of people, or I don't remember the percentage of their patients that have nothing really wrong with them, but they're worried about something being wrong. And I assumed I've got to be one of those. And I was embarrassed. I was just, I wouldn't talk about it. I would go to doctor's appointments and I would just stop telling anybody about anything because what's the point? They just think I'm crazy. Anyway, so when I was in graduate school, I don't remember what made me start talking about it again. I did have a heart problem that was diagnosed by a PA that was brand new, fresh out of school, and was like, I'm going to be, I mean, Dr. House wasn't on TV yet, but they were going to be like Dr. House. And she, sure enough, did an EKG. I'd never had an EKG in my life, no matter how many times I mentioned, I've got something weird going on with my heart. First time I had an EKG. You have Wolf-Parkinson-White syndrome, which is oh, an geez. electrical disorder. Yeah, that you don't really want to miss. No. I had to have that treated. That kind of emboldened me a little bit to be like, mm. all right, that wasn't in my head. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start bringing up this other stuff again. Sometime during the years when I was in graduate school, because this all happened when I was in graduate school. Sometime during those years, complaining about fatigue and stuff, I started getting a few more tests beyond all the nutrient stuff and thyroid. They did test on my SED rate, which came back high. At the time, they said, your SED rate is high. That means in the future, you're going to have an autoimmune disorder. But at the time, I didn't push it. I didn't say, what might I have? And we're testing for those things now. We just didn't do it. I just went, okay. When I was in graduate school, I took a class called psychoneuroimmunology. Yeah. We learned about an autoimmune disease called Sjogren's syndrome. Say syndrome because it's what it's called for so long. I remember hearing that there was chronic fatigue and some pain. And I thought, Mm -hmm. you know how if you're, you live with something for so long, like my eyes were a little bit dry for so long. My mouth was apparently a little bit dry for so long. Oh, and I had little pieces of teeth would break off for no reason when I was a kid. The heck is that? Nope. I took good care of my teeth. Never got cavities, just chunks would fall out. Um, and I just never really thought of myself as somebody who lives with dry eyes and dry mouth. And I knew I couldn't wear contacts, but I thought, okay, I guess everybody's got some level of dryness, but it's, I didn't think much of it. So when I was learning in this class about children's, she said, the primary symptoms are dry eyes and dry mouth. And I went, there's that one. I don't have that because I don't have dry eyes and dry mouth. So that's not going to. That was your normal. Like that you, was my yeah. normal. Yeah. I said, well, that, just, that doesn't explain this fatigue, the pain, the brain fog, all these things that are just always with me. So I continued on my schooling and life, just remembering that I had a high sed rate. Um, little red flags, liver stuff would pop up, but no, no answers, just little things here and there. So then fast forward to 2017, my father had Alzheimer's and cancer. My mother was a wreck taking care of him and I was around them a lot. So my stress level was like, I went to a doctor 
And I said, look, this fatigue is out of control. This I can't do anything. The pain is incredible. I'm exercising. I had been exercising. I was down to 114 pounds. So doctor can't say you are deconditioned and you need to lose weight. It was that those excuses were not options for her. She said, was stressful going on? And I started explaining to her what was happening. And she started going, okay, stress related, blah, 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 in her mind. I said, but let me tell you about some past test results that I've had. Had high SAD rate. I've had liver function elevations, things that are just not right. They told me I probably will get an autoimmune disease. Don't autoimmune diseases make you really tired? So she went, yeah, let's look at that. Boom. Positive SSB, positive ANA. I guess my eyes and mouth have been pretty dry, come to think of it. (laughs) Hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Anyway, I started getting treatment for the Sjogren's and I'm not cured. I don't feel 100% by any means, but boy, my brain fog's gotten so much better since I've had been treated for this. My pain has gotten better. I still find that if I do the lifestyle things like exercise vigorously, yeah, no, it's just going to knock me out. Remember the first 5K I ever did? I went home and slept for two days. What the heck? That's not supposed to happen. 5K? What is that? That's not a marathon. So I do know that the treatment has helped me in some ways. I feel a little more functional, but I do find that I need much more rest. I do know that I still have to take good care of myself because I know my diet has a huge impact on how I feel. Same. If I'm not moving, I get a lot of pain, which is happening lately because I've been sitting at the computer like this, not doing anything. This time, yes, it is my fault. Shame on me for not moving more. But I do know I have to have that balance. I can't go crazy exercise. But yeah, that's my story. Just years and years of shame and embarrassment that it is in my head. Lo and behold, nope, it wasn't. Can you explain a little bit more about what that term psychosomatic means? I think that gets thrown around a lot. Maybe not when a physician necessarily may not say it to the patient but they may see it right on that after visit summary or in the note. Yeah. That term is actually quite big. There are, there's an entire chapter in the diagnostic and statistical manual, which is the Bible for mental health practitioners. There's an entire chapter called somatic symptoms and related disorders. It's an entire chapter. So somatic meaning body, right? Psycho meaning the mind, somatic meeting body. So there's, it's about the connection, how they were related in some way. So there's a whole chapter in the DSM, but the DSM's newest version, thankfully, is not so much about, okay, this is all in your head. If you've had a past trauma, you just need to go to therapy and your physical symptoms will go away. That's not what it says at all. There's a lot more recognition in the mental health field that just because you can't diagnose something physically isn't enough to say it's a psychosomatic. I know that you said, like you said, a lot of doctors 
Yeah. I guess they're just, they're not familiar. Why would they know what the DSM says if that's not their field? I'm not going to know that. And I think you and I were just talking a few minutes ago about a study where the, in the Netherlands in 2015, I think it was, they, they took a group of GP doctors and had them videotape their sessions with patients. And after the session, they would say on a scale of one to three, one being, I can't remember which end was which, but on one end it was, there's definitely a medical reason for their symptoms. The middle could be, you know, well, there's some medical stuff I think that's there, but I'm not quite sure. Could be unexplained. The other end is it's medically unexplained. I know there's nothing this person. So they had to fill out a little thing at the end of each session right away. Then some time went by and they would sit down with an interviewer and watch the video. The ones that they said, yeah, it's medically unexplained. They focused it on those sessions. They said, at what point in this interaction did you decide that it was medically unexplained symptoms? And it was an average of between two minutes and four minutes into the interaction if they hadn't already decided before they walked in the door that it was a medically unexplained set of symptoms. Mm. When you have that and doctors aren't familiar with diagnostic criteria for the mental health stuff, of course you're going to feel like gaslighted. And then I don't like, I actually don't even really term gaslighted and I'll tell you why. Because doctors are not as bad. If you've seen the movie Gaslight. I don't think generally there's not the malice involved, but, and this is where it's like the intent versus the impact discussion too. Yeah. But so of course you're just, you're going to come away feeling not listened to, not understood. And that's not helping. You're already feeling all these symptoms and you can't explain it. And you're having self-doubt and feeling like you're doing something to cause your symptoms or questioning your own sanity. Is this really true? Am I imagining this stuff? Which happened in the movie, questioned her sanity. There's that bias coming in. And they also said, what contributed to your decision that it was medically unexplained? Some of the things they said were like, the patient presented as all over the place. Mm-hmm. Their symptoms were just vague, like fatigue, pain, maybe some dizziness, maybe some tingling in the extremities. What does that sound like? <laughs> Showgrin. These doctors had preconceived notions going in if these patients were scattered or maybe had symptoms that they weren't able to really explain very well, vague type symptoms. And unfortunately, this is what happens when we have brain fog or we have some of these autoimmune conditions like show grit. This is how it plays out. Exactly. But I find so this kind of what has fueled a lot of, in part, a lot of my passion for spreading the word amongst my peers Here I was, now granted, allergist immunologists, we are not the first-line people treating Sjogren's, but we see patients with sinus issues, eye issues, I see patients with other immune system issues all the time. And all I knew and all I was taught to look for and think about with Sjogren's was to look for and think about with Sjogren's was SSA, SSB, and dryness. That was the extent of it. Had my labs not been totally off the wall, 
I wonder if I would have a diagnosis yet. I don't think I would have either. I don't think so. You just reminded me, I've had spinous problems going back to 2000. I've had lung issues going back to 1992 that they would listen to my lungs and go, your lungs are clear. No, okay. You're fine. I had allergy shots for a long time. I mean, the allergy test, you're allergic to everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, no, I wasn't allergic to cows. Good <laughs> <laughs> thing I'm not allergic to cows since I'm around them so much, but I'm allergic to everything. Doesn't yeah. that tip you off that it's There's not something. everything? Something in me is going on. I got to where I would touch myself and I'd get a welt on my skin. Yeah. Fancy word, dermatographism, writing on the skin. Yeah. Here, take antihistamines. So I've been living on antihistamines and I know they say, don't do that if you have Sjogren's, but my sinuses will know. not let me not. Yeah. You got to. I can't. And that's where it's so important to, I think, find someone who will help you come up with a personalized approach because even with within Sjog- the Sjogren's community, there's a lot of variation in how each of us and each of our conditions presents. Yeah. The neuropathy, I got tested for it and you don't have neuropathy, but nobody did a test for small fiber neuropathy. So yeah, just the complexity is maddening Mm -hmm. and doctors don't know what they have in one package. It's a recipe for this whole worried well thing going on. What I start to wonder as well, up until maybe a year and a half ago, I had never referred anyone for a lip biopsy ever. In part, I didn't realize or know how often folks are seronegative. So your blood testing is normal. Essentially, you're told your blood tests are normal, but that doesn't fully rule out Sjogren's at all. It's probably a happy accident in some respects that I, as an allergist, as an internist, pediatrician, trained allergist, it's extraordinarily rare for me to be working within a department of otolaryngology or the ear, nose, and throat department. That's not a normal setup, but the ear, nose, and throat surgeons who do the biopsies in the office are in the next hall. I'm in this, in this micro, in this environment where it has been easier to get that done than many institutions and places. But had there been more of a barrier to get that done or resistance, I probably still wouldn't necessarily be recommending or referring folks as often. You need people that are receptive. Exactly. Yeah. Anytime I feel like, especially within the current medical landscape, anytime you run into bumps in the road or resistance in one place or another, everyone's bandwidth is limited, that it's just that little bit of resistance sometimes is enough to just be like, ah, heck with it. Yeah, exactly. But when you ask me about what sinusitis is, I don't know yeah. it sound like it's only about whether or not you have a There's way more than that to it. There's also a section in there basically about psychological factors that contribute to medical conditions. Yes. So... Even if you have an underlying condition causing your symptoms, the psychological, you can't discount that altogether. It's still tangled up in there. You can't just, I've got a medical problem. I can take a pill and 
everything's fine. If you're really stressed out, if you're depressed about what's going on, because there is clearly going to be a grief stage when you get diagnosed with something and you've got to adjust your life so much that you have to give up things or you have problems with people who don't get it in your life. So there's clearly going to be stuff that's feeding the flames of your symptoms. And stress management is just absolutely critical for incorporating that into your self-care. There's one study that I absolutely love to talk about. It was people who have psoriasis were getting a certain kind of therapy with light, a UV light therapy, top of their medicine. A group of researchers took a bunch of these patients who were already doing this treatment and divided them into two and said, okay, this half, while you're going through your light therapy, you're going to play this tape recording. It's an old study tape. We still have tape back then of a mindfulness meditation session. Mm-hmm. You're going to be doing this mindfulness focus activity mm-hmm. during your light therapy. The other group just did their t- traditional light medicine, everything they usually do. Well, what they did was they measured their skin lesions across time. The group that did the meditation with the light therapy, them significantly faster to get to the halfway clearing point and then to the complete clearing point than the people who just did the traditional therapy. So you can't say that what's going on in your thoughts and your feelings has nothing to do with your symptoms. You can't say that. When you can calm that and let the dust settle, your body gets the chance to activate the healing process Um, because the sympathetic arousal blocks that. I did want to say that because it's so important. Many people think that if it's a medical condition, then I don't need any mental health help. Not saying that everybody needs to go for therapy, but don't ignore that part. Oh my gosh. I have to say, if I could go back in time and tell teenage Kara or early 20s, Kara, go learn how to do this, learn how to do some meditation or learn about some of the therapy slash coaching type principles, or just the idea that our thoughts and feelings, we have some control over that. Teasing out like what is the actual circumstance and like, what is everything else that we stories we make about that? Goodness. What a difference I think that would have made. And I even look, I had a Something happened this week that the old me days out, I know still would have been in that fight or flight over this particular set of circumstances. Old me would have totally been still stewing about it, worrying about it and everything. And me from the last couple of years with some of these skills of mindfulness and these other principles, holy moly. It's life-changing. You'll learn how to separate the thought from the event. Yeah. And just realizing that my brain, like my brain has a negative bias. That's what kept us alive as humans for millennia. And the stories I was telling myself when the proverbial poop was hitting the fan (laughs) were stories. Like being able just to take that pause and I ate my feelings a little bit and that's okay. (laughs) Even if there weren't weren't stories, if it is really that bad. Yeah. Looking at, can I control this? 
Yeah. What can I control and what can't I? If you can't control it, why waste your energy? Exactly. Being caught up in it. Learning to step back. Can't do anything. Every time someone brings up, my mind goes to that scene in Frozen where Elsa is just let it go. What happens, I guess, when you have two little girls in the house? I've got a girl. Yes. Yeah. Frozen on repeat. But yeah, that that has become also a little repeated kind of mantra of sorts that comes up from time to time. Yeah. Letting it go doesn't mean you don't care, too. Absolutely. Yes. I had, I don't know how many times I worked when I was so doing clinical work. People would think that if I forgive and let go or just learn how to not be emotionally in it, mm-hmm. that must mean I don't care. And that's a bad thing. And it's so. You're just stepping out of the pool. Yeah. Just stepping out. Exactly. I think about that so often of, okay, this idea of we know better, we do better. And trying to do my best to pass on some of these lessons to my kid and their friends and so that hopefully they have a set of tools to help them through all the ups and downs that are just kind of part of life, but definitely part of chronic illness living. The only thing that's predictable is that it's going to be unpredictable. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I was talking with a friend. She has rheumatoid arthritis. And I think this episode probably will be after the one with Cheryl aired, but we were talking exactly that. We could get hit by a bus tomorrow and who the heck knows? Yeah. You can't put your mind in the what ifs. Yeah. Could you share a little bit more about your book and who should be reading it? Tell us more about it. (laughs) Okay. When I wrote it was... I had been doing a lot of research and wanted to know, what is this blood thing? What does my diet do to it? How does stress impact? How do all these things work together? How do you diagnose it? What is it? What is happening in my body? So if you're just diagnosed and you still have all those questions in your head, this is a small compact book that pretty much it's a good go-to when you got a question like, what is that again? What do some of these words mean again? It's not an in-depth clinical type of look at it, which some of the books about Shogun's are. And it's not just about stories. My story's in there, but it's not all about my story. It's just, what do you want to know? What do you need to know now to get you started? As digestible. You- it's digestible. Yeah, I, yeah that's my, that was my hope. I think one thing that is so challenging and I struggle with on the physician side and educator side is I sometimes just want to tell everyone everything all at once because I'm so excited to share the knowledge. But restraint can be really helpful too in in just like keeping things manageable and in being able to then actually absorb and understand. And then if you want more detail after absolutely those other resources may be helpful, but having something just to get you jump started. Yeah. It's so to important. kind of make it go, oh, okay. This is what it is. The overview. I, and I can do these things. And then you start. So. I think that's the other battle, right? When he's listening, 
no matter what your education background, whatever, you are an intelligent, amazing human being. You've probably heard a lot of the things that Dr. Susan and I will recommend when it comes to diet and exercise, because I think at least following each other's things, we tend to recommend similar things, especially as it comes to like diet and lifestyle recommendations. There are things you've heard before. It's not necessarily rocket science, but sometimes it is that support and being able to just start taking those first steps and getting into action mode that can be challenging. And But getting into that routine, developing those habits really make a huge difference. Yeah. Just the starting is usually the hardest part. Yes, absolutely. I come back to, I know you did a recent post that was just this really great side-by-side look at what is the difference between anti-inflammatory eating and autoimmune protocol? Because I think that gets confused so often. And admittedly, I went down the rabbit hole of AIP when I was, felt like I was between a rock and a hard place, some my symptoms and stuff going on. And I remember having a conversation with my husband. He's a practicing cardiologist. He's like, hun, there's no way this can be healthy long-term. Yeah. You are at increased risk with Sjogren's, folks with rheumatoid arthritis, lupus, these inflammatory diseases, you are at increased risk for heart disease. And all that. Eating all this meat and saturated fat. (laughs) Everything cooked in coconut oil, all these things like that cannot, that is not sustainable. And that was kind of a reality check. Yeah. I don't know if you're aware. Actually, I wrote another book about that. Exactly. Oh, do tell. Yeah. It's understanding food and inflammation and it's for autoimmune patients. Amazing. Based on research out of the University of South Carolina, where they came up with something called the Dietary Inflammatory Index. Yes. I'm familiar with this. Yeah. It's been used with asthma. Yeah. Look at rolling asthma. Right. Mm -hmm. I wrote a book that to say, okay, here's what is shown clinically to reduce, well, in the lab to reduce inflammation, your biomarkers, the cytokines, and all the inflammatory markers will show up as being affected by this type, these types of foods, making it worse or better. And they get put it on a scale from negative one to positive one. I think that is honestly the best guide for figuring out how to manage your disease. That being said, um, clearly, like we know, biomarkers don't always tell the whole story. You still might feel pretty rotten and the cytokines might be fine and all that stuff might be fine. So some people do want to delve in, do the AIP diet. And so I have the back of the book saying, okay, this is what it is. This is what AIP mm-hmm. is. And it's different. It's an elimination protocol. Yeah. Whereas an anti-inflammatory diet is, this is what you should eat and you should not eat sugar. That's one thing. <laughs> That's a bad That one. has been, oh my gosh, that has been the hardest for me. I will say, I'm going to knock on this desk, which is probably particle board, but since the new year, I've been doing better, but that has been a harder egg okay. to crack personally. Yeah, I notice a huge difference in how I feel when I'm cutting that sugar way down or out, but I do. I will admit it. I am like a drug addict when it comes to chocolate. You cannot give me a piece, few pieces of chocolate and then can't stop. Yeah. yeah sugar is a struggle for 
we can come at it from that, that maybe that frame of mind of self-compassion that as cave women finding that honey hole or that ripe fruit or those things like that was, that's what kept you alive, made you stronger in the, stronger in the tribe. But that was also very rare. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's everywhere. Yeah. You did. You mentioned self-compassion and I think that is key with all of this. Number one, right there. People saying my body hates me. No, your body's misguided and it's trying very hard to protect you. Yep. So too hard sometimes, but still it's misguided, right? Yep. Yep. I joke that I call it the misbehaving immune system because I think of it as like a little child who's got their hand in the cookie jar and like smiling and look at me. (laughs) Look what I can do to you. And you can't. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's how I envision that. Yeah. But along with the self-compassion that, okay, no, my body is trying to do something good, really. It's trying to protect me. But also when you think about, I've, I've got to change my diet or I have to do these things. Don't think about it in the deprivation aspect oh. of it, but think of it as I am doing something that makes my body feel better when I focus on adding all these things that are good and squeeze out the stuff that's not good. Absolutely. So yeah, do it for yourself because you're worth it, not because you're punishing yourself. Yeah. And that has so much overlap in what we have been fed, pun intended, from diet culture a long time. Yeah. Cut things out, hate your body, all these messages, as opposed to what can we add? How can we love? How can we care for ourselves? There's so much science to support the self-compassion. Yes. Like physical, like better diabetes and hypertension. It's not kumbaya. (laughs) Right. The old research about self-esteem is going away. It's really more focused on the positive. We can really see measurable changes in people when we look at compassion. Oh, this has been wonderful. I feel like I could talk with you all day long. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Any parting wisdom or things left unsaid, we're going to make sure that all of your Twitter, your Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Pinterest, website, all that stuff is in the show notes so that people can find you and follow your posts. And we need to get the link for your books too, so that people can pick those up. Yep. They're both on Amazon. Oh, great. Yeah. I had to self-published so they're just there yeah thank you so much for inviting me thank you i i can't wait and we'll have to do this again thanks so much everyone for joining us this week and look forward to talking with you next week hey everyone i am going to ask you once again to go into apple podcasts and submit a review of the podcast for me but first i'm going to share a review from dr lex rx Dr. Wada's unique perspective is amazing considering she's both an autoimmune patient and physician. Her experience, expertise, and insight make this podcast so valuable. Keep them coming. One other from Amanda Catherine. Wow, so informative. Thank you for bringing more attention to autoimmune diseases. Each podcast is so informative and well thought out. Very impressed with all that you do. 
Thank you so much, Dr. LexRx and Amanda Catherine. I really appreciate the feedback and the review. I want to incentivize you to leave a review too. So anyone who leaves a review between now and my birthday, which is April 6th, will be entered into a drawing to receive a box of all of my favorites. If you've already reviewed the podcast, just hop back over and leave another review. If you haven't left a review yet, now's your time. You have a few weeks to do so. I'm going to announce the winner through my newsletter email. If you aren't subscribed yet, head over to drkarawada.com and in the upper right corner, you can hit the subscribe button. Thank you so much because Apple podcast reviews are one of the ways to increase how many people are able to access and see all of this education and information we're putting out into the world.